Hello, good evening, and welcome to the latest episode of The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, THFC Steph, and first of all, uh, nice to be with you after one of the quieter and more boring weeks we've all had to endure this season. Just a quick note before we get into it, I do want to say, if you've come here expecting loads of whinging and moaning and complaining, you're in the wrong place. That's not what you're going to get here. You're going to get some entertaining look back at uh, what's been going on the last week, including the final that we just played against Manchester City at Wembley in the Carabao Cup, which we lost 1-0. And we're going to be analysing all of it as best we can, but we are going to try and find some humour in this as well. So if that's not your bag, if you want to like just piss and moan about everything, uh, you should probably switch us off right now. Before we get into it any further... Over the last few weeks, we have had to talk about racist incidents in football and online racist abuse aimed at players far too often. This weekend, clubs in the English Premier League, English Football League, Women's Super League and Women's Championship will be switching off their Facebook, Twitter and Instagram accounts in response to the ongoing and sustained discriminatory abuse of footballers and their despair over a lack of action from the tech companies. Bravo to that. The social media boycott is going to last from 3pm on Friday, April 30th to 11.59pm on Monday, May the 3rd, covering a full fixture programme in the men's and women's professional games. The social media companies uh, make a conscious decision to tolerate hate speech on their platforms, and hopefully uh, this is going to help redirect their thinking. They do put their profits first, which is why we at The Games About Glory will also be supporting the boycott and coming off social media next weekend. Uh, we, we strongly believe that it's the only way that we can start to get the social media companies to take this seriously because it will have an impact on them financially. And sadly, that seems to be the message which uh, speaks the loudest in the modern world. So uh, that's something that will be happening. And uh, it would be great, actually, if you joined that on your own social media. That would be a wonderful thing. We should all uh, sign off for a few days and show that we have zero tolerance for racist abuse. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Before we get started, uh, we've got a small favour to ask. Uh, if you listen to the, this pod on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, uh, you would be doing us a huge favour if you could spend five minutes on leaving us a review. It really helps us spread the word about this pod and pick up new listeners. Uh, we'll be sending Ram out with his guitar this summer to sweetly serenade everybody who leaves us a review. Um, and uh, just a quick quick hello to, to tonight's panel. Uh, Milo, Ricky, Ram. Hello, boys. Hi, Steph. Yeah. Hello, Steph. Great. And, you know, we'd like to thank... Dave T316 and Nicola Bertie for the glowing podcast reviews that you left. I've got to tell you, Ram is learning crazy in love to sing outside your homes on his summer tour. <laughs> uh, thank you, boys, for, for, the, for the kind words. Really appreciate it. As you can tell, and as I said at the top of this, we're all about you know, good vibes tonight as best as we can. Nobody likes losing a final. And let me make it very clear that we defeat hurts everyone. But wallowing in defeat is a waste of time. It's a waste of your listening time and it's a waste of our time on the pod. Uh, so we will be looking back at the earlier Carabao Cup final against Men City, as I said, which we did lose 1-0 and took place at our former home or former home of ours, Wembley, in front of 8,000 living, breathing supporters, including 4,000 uh, people that are made up of local Brent residents and the National Health Service, which is a great thing. It was a day when Ryan Mason became the youngest manager ever to lead out a team in a major domestic final, and we will take a look back at all aspects of that match. We will also take a slightly more involved look back that we anticipated would be necessary uh, on last Wednesday's come-from-behind 2-1 victory over Southampton, uh, especially in light, again, of all the uh, news that did go down, including a certain man uh, losing his job. You know, it makes sense that we start there 
tonight, lads, because it did seem that it was a warm-up uh, for today's game. And we're going to be also having a Ryan Mason love-in, of course. That's inevitable. You know, is he the greatest human to ever walk the earth? Uh, we will ponder why he hasn't been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize yet. Uh, and, you know, would he, would he let us adopt him? I mean, all these, he's just, you know, is he... It's just a love fest, isn't it? Because he <laughs> is, whether we like it or not, and we do like it, we love it. This man is about as through and through Tottenham Hotspur as you can get, having spent 20 of his 29 years deeply involved with the club. You're in for a treat. And before we get to any of uh, that fine stuff, we're going to delve into one of Milo's smash hit pop quiz corkers tonight. I want to know, starting with you, Ram, what your first gig was the first gig you went to the first concert you went to do you want me to start with the one i tell everyone was my first gig or the one that actually was my first gig i i leave that to you uh you know <laughs> okay that is that is absolutely yours but you know you if you want to say it was new kids on I, I, oh sorry <laughs> jump in the gun here carry on go on carry okay. on okay so the first gig i tell people i ever went to was guns and roses in 1992 at the Inonu Stadium in Istanbul, which was the home of Besiktas. Uh, and it was the Get in the Ring World Tour, and I was 11 years old. That's the one I tell everyone was my first gig. My actual first gig was New Kids on the Block at a half-filled Wembley Arena in 1988. Uh, and they had bits of cake thrown at them by their own fans. I was actually joking. <laughs> <laughs> is that actually wow that's, that's actually the truth. truth so ram's got a form for going to wembley and coming away disappointed <laughs> <laughs> it's been a running theme <laughs> i think at this point lads we should uh give ram a, a round of applause for honesty because mate if i were you <laughs> i sort of hide behind the first hope he would know you're now at the mercy of milo's editing i have to say uh, and oh. I'm not going to give you a chance to get under that out from under that. <laughs> Milo, you're next on the you're next on the block. You're not a new kid, but you're next. <laughs> so, Steph, I, I don't know. I've spent the afternoon trying to trawl back through kind of tour dates from kind of late eighties. So, when I was fifteen, yeah, so fifteen onwards, I was I went to about two or three gigs every week. Like my local university, I went to you know pretty much everyone who played there. I don't, I don't remember who I saw first. I thought it might be Fugazi at one point, but it's not. And that would have been quite cool. But it, I, I saw them quite, you know, I saw them around that time. But I think the earliest one I've been out to date uh, this afternoon was the Darling Buds supported by Lush. There's a Spurs connection there with, say, the much-missed uh, Chris Ackland, the drummer from Lush, yeah. uh, being a, a big Spurs fan and forming the Lilies with a couple of members from Cocteau Twins and, uh, and Moose. And recording, uh, David Seaman will be very disappointed with that as a, a single, a single after the 91 Cup, uh, <laughs> FA Cup semi final. So, but I'm not certain. I don't know. <laughs> it's like his predictions. Ricky? Well, going back to my 16, 17 year old self, um, I think my first introduction to live music, if you could call it that, was Acid House, basically. So, we're, you know, in reality, mm -hmm. that looks, you know, that's like warehouses, fields around London and the orbital. And they probably have some hate, and probably within that, there was some hastily arranged PAs of like Shades of Rhythm or mm. Candy Flip or even a Damsky, I think, back then. So, um, uh, <laughs> you know, wow. Guru Josh, you know, that kind of rubbish. But thinking about, I mean, I suppose you want an answer because, um, um, if you fast forward to, um, Brit, Britpop 94, 95, me and Mrs. Ricky, as in still the current Mrs. Ricky, I think we went to see Sleeper at Hackney, Hackney 
Empire. Uh, good stuff. But yeah, I, I'm going to come in with a double um, because uh, the first show I was ever bought to was by my parents and it was the Isle of Wight in 1970. So I apparently did see Jimi Hendrix, but I don't remember a thing. So I was three years old. Uh, the first conscious gig that I saw, the one that I really remember, the first one I remember was Ian Dury uh, and he was playing the Michael Sobel Centre and that was in 1980 and uh, he had the selector supporting him, which was uh, which was super good and I loved Ian Dury and, uh, you know, so that was my first and, uh, but anyway. Let's get to the Southampton game. It was a come from behind win. That's all fine and dandy. You know, it was Ryan Mason's first game in charge, 29-year-old, so on and so forth. Great story. We'll be getting into that a little later. Bale scored a corker and uh, suddenly dispatched a, a late penalty, which I think actually we were all a little anxious about. But, you know, let me start with you, Ram. When you, what did you think when you saw the lineup for that game? Um, overall, as, you know, seeing as we didn't have Kane, I was happy with the lineup. I thought, in, if, you know, obviously Loris in goal. Back four, I perhaps would have chosen uh, Dyer, I wasn't so sure about, but then I guess, you know, you go for experience in this, in this scenario. The midfield of Hoiberg and Ndombele, again, I was happy with that. I think there was a statement made perhaps with putting Bale back in the starting lineup because he hadn't started a few games. My only thing was Lucas, I think, deserves to play, but I was surprised that no Vinicius up front. That was kind of probably the biggest surprise for me because he's he's an out and out striker, uh, and he's cut. You know, in essence, he's a like for like replacement for Kane. But overall, I thought it was probably as strong a team as we could put out. Okay, and and Ricky, in terms of the changes that you saw in the game, uh, you know, what what did you think of the of the changes that were going on in the ninety minutes? Because it wasn't all one direction but even though Ryan was the new kid on the block yeah I mean it, I think the first 10 minutes Southampton started really well and to be honest most of the first half was pretty worrying I mean obviously Ying scored uh, even before that um, Loris made an excellent double save really at his best there so that was slightly worrying so it was good to see that the second half we came out and seemed to be on the front foot dare I say with the handbrake off <laughs> that kind of thing I mean maybe the first half was a bit of a hangover from just a bit of a Jose legacy of just, you know, it's muscle memory. You know, we're still kind of trying to find our feet or find our way and just have confidence. But um, second half, definitely we were a lot better. Push the high line up more. Coming on that point of the high line defence, particularly in the second half, Milo, uh, and whether it actually helped Reggie's game more because his game has been a little off recently. And I think we finally saw the player that we, we've been enjoying earlier in the season a bit more in that second half. Yeah, one of the key the key differences between, let's say, this game and what we've seen before was that, I mean, certainly in the second half, he pushed the, uh, the back line up a lot higher. The fullbacks pushed up higher. Uh, we had Hoybier dropping in to make a three in defense when we were in possession and, and moving up, you know, giving us more passing options. And then obviously we saw Winks come on and I thought Winks had a really good game when he came on. And presumably that was part of the reason behind the decision to start with him today. And yeah, I, I think it does make it easier for, for Reggion. It gives him half the pitch to play in, basically. So yeah, I thought I thought Reggie had a really good second half against uh, Southampton. I thought it was some of the best football I've seen us play for a while. One of the things that I was wondering was um, whether, you know, due to the kind of shortage of time in preparation for that game, and obviously the quick turnaround between that and today's game, is whether Mason might have been using some of the um, some Pochettino uh, routines or approaches. Well, I think first of all we can confirm especially with some of the uh, pre-Carabao Cup final interviews that Toby uh, Alderweireld was doing, that that is indeed the case, that he did bring um, some of Poch's manoeuvres and know-how to the pitch. I think also his team selection is very much dictated by trust. I mean, I think, you, you know, he talked about Vinicius not starting there. I think, you know, it's 
pretty simple. I just don't think he really knows him as a player. So he's going to go with players he trusts. But yeah, I think it's undoubted that there was uh, some patchwork going on in there. Yeah, I mean, picking up on a specific there, I mean, like uh, Milo was saying, the um, the Hoiberg dropping in between the centre-halves is a bit like Dyer used to do. And then, mm. you know, so Alderweireld and Vertonghen used to push up and then that used to push Rose and Walker up. So that's a similarity there, I think. And and that plays into Aurier's and Reggie's game. You want them more going that way than, you know, having to sit in and defend. I mean, one of the things I'm sure we'll touch on later on is actually, you know, Dyer has looked like a different player these last couple of games. He's looked, he's right. looked much improved. And I think a lot of people have written him off. I think, you know, some of us, me included. But I think he's looked pretty assured these last two games. And, yeah. you know, I think partly, I mean, obviously it was, it was heavy going this afternoon. By not surrendering possession to the same degree, we're not put, and, and sitting deep, we're not putting the centre-backs under quite so much pressure. Right. And again, I think we do come back to that element of trust. I think he trusts them as professionals. I think you should lean on your senior professionals in the side. And I think that Eric Dyer, and I, I, I proudly will say that I've never given up on Eric Dyer. And I've always felt that he uh, is a player that I want at this football club regardless. And I've stood as a lone voice sometimes, both, um, well, in many different fan communities. But I think it comes down to that trust factor. And I think that they did both do very well. I think the other thing is, is that, I mean, you know, Ram touched on this earlier on about being puzzled by that selection. You know, Rodon was cup tied today. So basically mm-hmm. he had to pick two from Sanchez, Dyer and Aldevereld. And only one of those players is comfortable playing on the left-hand side. So basically he said, Dyer's comfortable on the left. Who, who's the best person to play alongside him? And he's come to the right decision. And, you know, given the limited time he's had to prepare the team for both of those games, oh. it's understandable that you, st- you stick, you know, with the same back four. I mean, that just makes sense, doesn't it? It was always going to be a two and not a three as well, wasn't it? So, you know, yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Always, always a two and not a three. And, and I said it in, you know, in the Southampton selection, I said it initially, I was like, Dyer, I wasn't so sure about. And I think that is, like, like you say, like I did lose faith in him a bit. And that was, you know, I, I think maybe that was part of the toxicity that may have been in the club in the, in the last sort of season or so where I, I, you know, you're kind of led to believe that, well, he's not being, he's not starting. And then when he is being given a game, you know, we're, we're playing with tactics that aren't, maybe don't suit, um, his game per se. And, you know, and, and I was, I, I'm glad to say I was wrong as well because I thought these last two games, he's really kind of, him and Toby both have got, have actually come back, uh, you know, that they, they made a good account of themselves. Before we get too far into, you know, that talking about the defence, because we're going to get into this in, in the next, uh, when, when we look back at the Carabao Cup. I mean, let's just say that it would be very easy for anyone to be wrong, uh, given uh, what's been going on at the club the last the, yeah, the last year, um, you know, because I think it's been, you know, a fairly different atmosphere to the one we've been used to for the previous four. So let's just, I mean, let's just end by saying about the... the Sorry, I think there's one thing we ought to consider with that Southampton game is that Ings going off did us a big favour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was obviously an event, an event in the game that did make a difference because it blunted them. Yeah, I think so. I'd say as, as good as we were in the in the second half, I think him him coming off meant our defenders had, had a lot less to do, and that allowed them to get forward. I was just going to say the final thing I was just going to say on the on on the game was that it was nice to get the momentum out of that game to carry into the final because the the way we played in the second half, Sonny's goal that got disallowed came along at the perfect time, and it was so galling that that got disallowed. And then it was so great that we managed to sneak a penalty at the end to sort of rubber stamp that we've got some momentum there. You know, we've got a kind of result that we can carry into the Man City game. Ironically, it was a double penalty, actually, almost, because I would, I've seen, I mean, it did come off the guy's upper arm. And I've seen those given as penalties before uh, in, a, in a few games, actually, uh, in the last uh, few years, uh, some of them more notable than others. Um, 
But anyway, we, we ended the game. We actually had 12 shots to Southampton's 10. Only three of those are on target to their five. But nonetheless, uh, you know, we weren't afraid to take have a crack in the second half. And the XG stats were for us were 1.29 and for Southampton was 1.06. And we actually came out of that game with a whopping 62% possession. So at that point, you know, and I think that we should take a quick look here it's a perfect juncture to look at Ryan Mason coming in because he finishes his first game in charge as a winning manager I believe that makes him the youngest manager to have won a game in the Premier League do you know uh, he's uh, I think younger than a couple of the players that were on the pitch he's shared the same pitch as half the players who were on the pitch so he's in a very very um it's a very curious position to be in uh and it would be overwhelming uh we're a, you know we're a fairly unique club to manage in the first place i think one would have to say and you add all those factors to it and uh it was really quite an incredible achievement uh, let's go go around the block here uh ram uh, do you think it felt like a great weight was lifted off the club but by Ryan Mason being in the in the dugout on Wednesday night and 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 you know for the for the final few games of the season here I think it was it wasn't the decision I expected. Um, I, I wasn't expecting Ryan Mason to be managing the club for that game, but when it was announced, I think it did bring because of his history with the club. I thought it felt it it actually brought about quite a feel good factor, uh, and it was a it was a weight that was lifted because we literally had one of our own at the helm, um, and I think it really said something about Mason himself that. The club chose him as the interim manager, despite my first reaction was he's 29 years old. As you said, there's some players in the squad that are older than him, but he obviously has something about him that he could, that the club felt that he was the right person to take us forward uh, up until we get another manager in. Ricky, uh, this is a question I want to put to you because, uh, I mean, you played at a higher level than any of us did. Uh, do you think that when you have someone like Ryan Mason as a manager, it is maybe easier for him to get that message across because he was a player and he did play at the highest level and he did play with these players. So when a tactical adjustment comes from him, do you think the players maybe find it a little easier to take on board? Because I'm like, ah, oh, he actually does know what we're going through. I think it, it, usually it does depend on the ind individual because normally they say it is quite hard to go from being a player's teammate to being their manager because obviously there's a hierarchy change there and you've got to give instruction and you, they've got to listen to what you say. But I think all the individuals involved there, whether that's Mason to Kane, Mason to Loris, Mason to whoever, I mean, there's... <laughs> I think most of them would be open to kind of persuasion, open to his thoughts, open to, you know, his tactics and that kind of thing. And also the the kind of character I imagine Mason to be looking in from the outside. I mean, most people have said that he's like a level-headed guy. You know, he's quite reflective. He's quite, he's quite calm. He doesn't, you know, he's not shouting and hollering. So in that kind of sense, it definitely helps that he knows quite a few of the players and they're sensible players as well. And he's, a, he's, he's you know, the proverbial safe pair of hands. I don't mean that, you know. You know, hopefully he's the person we need just to steady things. Must be said, uh, as I say every week, we do copious notes and uh, Milo dropped this in. So just, it has to be mentioned. Mason, King, Powell and Vorm uh, sounds like a classic prog rock band. <laughs> but it's, it's actually our current. It's actually, it's actually our current, our current coaching staff. But Milo, you know, we talked a little earlier about the fact that, you know, Ryan's probably taking on some of Pochi's tactics and implementing them on the training pitch. Do you think there are enough of the team, given that, you know, Jose did make many changes to the squad, 
Do you think there are enough of the team that are familiar enough with that for it to be a shortcut to improving our playing style in the final half dozen games or so we have left? Well, let's ignore central midfield because obviously Ndebele and uh, Hoybier didn't really play under Poch in, in the current roles they're playing, was it? Ndebele didn't. So if we look at... so. In the, in, in the back, you've only really got Reggie who's coming in on that. Dyer and Aldevierold, uh, Aurier and Larissa, you know, old hands at that and they know that well. And if you look at the, the front line, uh, that starts against Southampton, you've only got Bale in there who doesn't know it. So, um, oh no, sorry. And Lacelso, no, Lacelso was at number 10, wasn't he? And he, he didn't, he didn't feature too much under Poch. So really you've got Moore and Son there who, who are familiar with it particularly but yeah I, I, th- I think it, it helps um, and you know if you look today the front three of uh, Kane, Son and Mora would be very familiar with that I think I think it felt less Poch-like today than it did on, on Wednesday I, I would say but a lot of that comes down to how much time Mason's had yeah, I think, you know, I think we're, I think the natural flow of conversation is going to bring us to, you know, ask questions to the future of Ryan Mason and so on and so forth after we've gone over the City game. Uh, you know, let's, let's take that tick down from the Wednesday night and the victory into Sunday. Um, you know, already Ryan was dealing with a very difficult subject and topic and decision in terms of Harry Kane and his fitness. I mean, you know, damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. If he picks him and he has a less than stunning game, then everyone is going to say, well, he wasn't fully fit. He shouldn't have been in the side. And if he doesn't pick him, then everyone's saying, well, you can't leave your best striker on the bench. I mean, it was, yeah, he was left in no man's land. And obviously we all were excited by the progressive play of the second half against Southampton. But if you come out and, you know, if you come out and do, frankly, what I wanted him to do today and just go at them, hell for leather with a high line, we'd probably have lost 6-0. So, you know, there's, all these practical things to balance. So as you know, when we saw the team selection for today's game, and I'm going to throw this open, first one in, you know, were, what, were the, what were the biggest surprises about the selection and the shape? I mean, the, the biggest surprise was probably Wink starting, wasn't it? You know, picking up your point around Kane, uh, I think it was a gamble worth taking. Uh, Mora led the line on Wednesday and, and didn't have a particularly good game. It, you know, Mora playing as a striker in in Kane's absence is something that both Poch and Mourinho tried uh, when Kane was injured and both of them decided against it and ended up playing Sun there so I was a bit surprised to see uh, Mason try that again on on Wednesday and I don't think it was particularly successful I, I think you know regardless of that you know I think Kane starting today was a gamble that we had to take and he didn't have the best game but it, I think probably the first 20 minutes of the second half I thought he was pretty good I think what was interesting is that Vinicius didn't even make the bench today and you yeah, and I think the other thing that was interesting was the change of formation from Wednesday to today. I was expecting with the shortage of time between between games that he would uh, use Wednesday as a dress rehearsal. But Lo played a lot deeper today than he did uh, against Southampton. And I think the other thing that was interesting today that it was um, it was Winks that was the deepest of the midfield three. So it was Winks with Hoybier mm. uh, to his left and Lacelso to his right, uh, playing slightly in advanced, uh, slightly advanced of him. Mason deployed Hoybier in a very similar way to that we've seen Poch play defensive you know, or more defensively minded midfielder which is actually an advance of a playmaker do we think that Winks was brought in ahead of Ndombele because perhaps it, you know he'd, he'd just be uh tracking I think it's more. because he wants to play a more patient uh possessive possession style of play so under Mourinho you know we're, we're well versed to us sitting back and deep and then trying to break at speed so you know obviously Moore has probably been the biggest beneficiary of that because he, he's very good at running very direct mm. with the ball Ndombele is you know, his, one of his strengths is either you know, running with the ball, but also playing quite sharp passes between the lines. Winks 
is a lot more patient. You know, people again criticise him for playing sideways balls and, play, and and holding possession. I think what we were trying to do is relieve pressure on the defence by holding onto the ball and and play it up the pitch, which is exactly what we did against Southampton, and it was quite successful against them in the second half. I also think it comes down to trust and control. I mean, I think there was definitely you know the 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 feeling that when we did get the ball, we were going to have to really be patient and and really you know be good with it. And I think one of the things that, uh, you know, there's a great deal of trust in Winks to be able to execute a role, whereas Tangai, absolutely brilliant player. And look, I have to say, I thought he should have come on in the second half. I really do. He is, I mean, he's just, he's pretty unpredictable. And if you are trying to play to a very controlled system, as a manager, you're going to look and say, I don't know if I can afford a loose pass from, from uh, you know, in, in a critical, dangerous position, because he's a gamble player. And I think Mason probably, even though he was talking about like, you know, uh, Ordere Fasere kind of football, I think he's thinking, well, I don't know if I can afford that to happen here. I mean, you remember that one of the things that undid Tangai's career with this early doors before he rebuilt it was having played an absolutely blinding 45 minutes against Bayern at home. He uh, he he got he got caught in a ludicrous place uh, gambling. It was one mistake, but it, it turned everything. And I just don't think he wanted to trust that. So that's my take on why Winks played today. Yeah, my, my view on the selection is that I kind of get that Mason wants to put some of his own thoughts onto the team. But some of our season has not necessarily been individual ability. I know some of our defenders haven't had a good time of it, but a lot of it's been the kind of more about the collective's been wrong. And whether that's like mindset or the fear or the approach we've been taking and that kind of thing. And I just thought that I mean, there are some things we can sign off on in the sense of we've all we've all said great things about Ndembele and Hoybier playing together. And we've all said that Moore has been best when he's been central for going forward. And I would, that's why I would have stuck with that because I thought that we've, we've done well with that. And that would have freed up the space on the right where I would have probably selected Bale. And I can understand we're trying to play a more patient game. But we do have to understand also today who we're playing against. And they are a beast city. So it is quite hard. City won't give you a lot. So Ndembele's, one of his skills is, he, I mean, we always say that maybe he can do the thing that Moussa Dembele used to do, is hold the ball, twist and turn and break the lines that way. And also from the Bale point of view, he's got a wonder of a left foot. And whether that's in open play or even if we get a free kick, because let's face it, that might that might be the only kind of things we get today. I would have rather played with that. I understand trying to control the game and playing slower, but you probably ain't going to be doing that against City. Let's be honest, it ain't Southampton, is it? One of the things we need to bear in mind there, though, is that Winks was the deepest of the three. So if we're talking about Ndombele in that role, he's not replacing Winks. He's replacing one of La Celso or Hoybier. Uh No, but I would have just played, this, I would have just played the system like we normally played it in a 4-2-3-1 with them too, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I'm going to, I'll have to be honest. I, I agree with you, Ricky. Like, I, I don't think that Winks should have started. I do think it should have been, uh, should have been Ndombele because one thing I did see with our play I agree um, that we were trying to look at a more patient, you know, build up and, and possession based football. But there was residue of the era before Mason where we would we, we'd, at times where we would pick up the ball, we would pass it back and we um, and all we had to do was hold on to it and, and make another pass. But we just hoofed it long because we were I, I, I appreciate that some of that is to do with the opposition as well, because they, you know, they press uh, at you like anything. But I feel someone like Undumbele, as predictable as he could be, he does pick up the ball and he he'll he'll either be able to run with it or he'll be able to pick out space um and he you know he has got a bit of magic in him i think what's fascinating actually about this conversation this part of the conversation is that we've probably learned more about what we really would love Tanga, tangai to be in the future by him mm. not being on the pitch and mm. him being on and i think that ricky hit it when he talked about him as that endombele kind of uh transporter almost and you know i, I think that's 
definitely where I see him being at his most effective for us. And, and, and I agree. And actually, I'm going to call my own hypocrisy out here just for a moment. I will tell you this. I think if Jose had made the changes that happened today, I would have been very, very upset. Uh, but the fact that mm. Ryan Mason's done it, he gets a free pass. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in fairness, um, you know, that's something that I, well, I'm certainly going to be honest about it. You know, it was probably yeah. not the right starting lineup. And had it been Jose, I would have hammered mm. him. But Ryan Mason's going to get a free pass from me because he's been at the club because, 20 of his 29 years. And that's the truth. Because talk, talking about the things we sign off on, the one things we don't sign off, we haven't signed off on is Sissoko and Winks being on the same pitch together. We seem to have poo-pooed that long time ago and we ended up in that situation <laughs> again. I think on Dembele, mm. though, I mean, he's shown that he can run the game against City like when he played for Leon, And being the kind of super talented player he is, I was just also hoping that he might be one of those ones that really puts in a performance in a big final or something because some I mean, players in, are in like defense that. of yeah Sissoko and Winks there is that they were playing different roles to they've been unsuccessful in before so yeah, it, yeah. it wasn't them Granted, in, in, yeah. in a pair I would have brought on Undembele for Lo Celso when Lo Celso came off and so I and you know if we talk yeah. about him as a ball carrier a transitioner then that's a role he can do that from you know we've got to bear in mind that Winks was um, playing deep and stayed there he wasn't getting up the pitch one thing that I also wonder is that Ndombele and Lo Celso haven't been very successful when they've been on the pitch together. No. They haven't had many good games together in the same no. side. So maybe that was also a consideration. And you can't drop Hoybier, can you? So really, if he if he wants a passer at the base, then really it's Ndombele and Lo Celso. Uh, it's a toss-up between them. And Lo Celso's got a, a, a higher work rate. It didn't work today, but I can understand the logic behind it. Yes, I agree with that. I was just going to say, I'm really, really hoping that the new man that comes in, because if you look at Hoybier, Lo Celso and Ndombele, I'm really hoping that they can make that work mm-hmm. somehow because all the ingredients look like they're there. But the times they have played together, it's not really looked that great. I agree. On paper, it's one of the best midfields in the country. I think also, I mean, on the subs front, and you know, we'll probably get into more detail on this later. I was, ex- I mean, personally, I was very surprised that Lamella didn't get on the pitch simply because City had a couple of players on a yellow card and... uh Lamella mm. does bring that with him. And I actually, you know, but of course, the Bayelsi Soko switch, I think the two had, the two will work together. Uh, and once again, that's probably Ryan Mason getting caught in a rock and a hard place. Does he like go for glory and, you know, say, hey, I'm not going to bring on any protection for Bale. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to win this game with as many attacking players as I can, or do I edge my bet? And you have to give it to him in a sense, you know, for 82 minutes, it was a nil nil game, miraculously, because Manchester City were. Just, I mean, they were excellent. I mean, I, I, I would never blame Mason for any of the selection. I mean, the other big kind of elephant in the room here is like, we can talk forever about our selection, but if you talk about Man City's selection, then as soon as I saw that, I thought, I thought they might do us a few favours with having PSG in a week, but they certainly didn't. Playing with that no forward at all gave them another extra man. And well, well I mean, their selection. Sterling, Sterling and Foden mm. on the same pitch is Mares. actually somewhat grossly unfair and Mares and actually (laughs) without wishing to get into this whole EFL conversation and the financial world and all that it does sort of make a mockery of anyone who doesn't think that there are clearly financially superior and more powerful clubs in the league than others because that is just a dream lineup. And then you look at their Can I just come off that comment Steph actually around um, kind of the ESL and that kind of um, kind of lack of competitiveness in it. So if Chelsea win the FA Cup final 10 of the last 12 domestic trophies will have been won by oil dope clubs. So when we were talking yeah. about kind of ESL mm. and it being anti-competitive, right. you know, you've got you know, the, the dominance there you know, within a handful of clubs you know, who, who 
would never be competing without that kind of money. And this gets over, this gets overlooked. Right. And, 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 and sorry, um, the other thing I was going to, the other thing I was going to yes. point out here is that, you know, a lot of people will be talking about now about how long we've gone without a trophy and all this kind of stuff. If we look at this, so, so Arsenal went nine years without a trophy relatively recently. Liverpool went 12 years with only one League Cup in the middle of it. You know, so they had a long, long barren spell. United at the moment going to go four years without a trophy. So this isn't uncommon. And what we're actually talking about here is actually, you know, clubs that can actually blow everyone else out of the water with financially dominating the trophies. And that's what's, in, that, that's, that's the gap with us. It's not that we haven't got a winning mentality or the players are weak or mm. they haven't got the, you know, it's, it's that there's a load of clubs here who can spend a fortune on players and wages and just blow us out of the water. Right. I mean, and look, let's put this out there straight away for anyone listening. This is not an excuse per se. You know, it is a fact. And look, Manchester City were brilliant today. These players are fantastic. And as we said earlier in the season on this pod, hats off to Pep because it was going south and we all, and a couple of us, myself included, yep. wrote him off. But he has come back mm. and come back stronger. And as, as you were saying, uh, he left two recognised centre forwards on the bench today mm-hmm. and played the false nine. I think what we're trying to point out, and I want to make this very clear for the listeners, is again, nobody here has ever ever thought that the ESL was a good idea or a good proposition. But what we have to challenge is the notion that it is the first time that anyone has like, you know, been messing Mm. with our beautiful game. And, you know, there are clubs who have messed with the beautiful game for many, many years. And Milo just gave the trophy count. And look, again, Sergio Aguero uh, on the bench, Gabriel Jesus on the bench, uh, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Foden, uh, you know, Mares, uh it's Raheem Sterling. I mean, Raheem Sterling, I think someone said it was his third game in, in eight as a starter. And he was absolutely, I thought he was unplayable today. And by the way, anyone who hammers Serge Aurier for that free kick can do one. You know, the fact he only gave away one free kick in a dangerous position against a player who mm. was clearly on his game was somewhat of a, of a miracle. So this is the point we're making uh, when we when we talk about, you know, the financial situation. I want to make that very clear. I was just going to say, just to touch on the ESL, ironically, that's why Chelsea and Man mm-hmm. City probably aren't actually that keen yep. on it because they've, they've just been mm-hmm. put in another pond with a load more otherly financially dope clubs yep. when they're thinking we'd rather be outside that and just be financially dope I think you're 100% right, Ricky. What it would do is even it up with them. It would bring everyone up to their level. Yeah. They don't so, want so the way I think about the the competition we're in at the moment, you know, we're Amir Khan, we're a decent fighter, but we're up against Lennox Lewis. There's a weight difference. And it doesn't matter how good you are or how nimble you are, you could try. You, you just don't stand a chance. It's just not an even fight. And I just want to add to that, actually. And I know we bring this up a lot and it's something as, for, as Spurs fans we like to bring up a lot, but it's the truth. And that is that we have massively overachieved over the last 10 seasons or 10 years even. When we get into a Champions League final, you know, how close we were to winning the league as well in an era where we are at best, you know, in terms of finan- you know, finances, we were maybe sixth or seventh in the Premier League um, in the finance table. So what we have achieved as a club, I think, isn't to be sniffed at. Sadly, mm. it, the truth is that it, people will look at the trophy cabinet, you know, in terms mm. of actual, you know, kind of um, real time success. But yeah. I, I don't think it should be overlooked how, how well we've been mm. run and how well we've done as a club in that time. I mean, the other irony with us, the ESL is not great for us in the sense of all that hard work we've done to raise that kind of commercial money is almost like we then get put in a pond with loads of people with loads of other money when realistically it won't be long 
that if uh, Man City and Chelsea didn't exist or weren't doped, we'd be somewhere just behind Man United, basically. We'd be up, yeah. With commercial revenues, we'd be above Arsenal, we'd be above Liverpool. And I know that doesn't mean we've won trophies, but it certainly puts us in a position to. Coming back to the to the League Cup final, Carabao Cup final, whatever it is, this was Manchester City's fifth win uh, in f- a row? Fourth in, the, fourth, fourth in a row. I think they were saying Fernandinho was on... He got his sixth medal today, didn't he? Three. Yeah. So four wins wow. in a row. I mean, you know, I just, you know, I don't think we can, I, I think this is a very natural flow point in, of discussion. I don't think we can make it enough times because people need to understand, you know, we talked about, uh, or it was talked about the ESL, the whole idea that, you know, fair competition was gone, you know, that you couldn't aspire to promotion or relegation. It's absolutely true and shameful and shameful. But let's not pretend that we're seeing anything more than a, an illusion for 98% of the time in the current setup and that we've been experiencing nothing more than an illusion for 98% of the time. This is why I think so many of us were so absolutely devastated when Pochettino was sacked because he was actually getting us to punch at Mm. a weight above Amir Khan with the budget of a bantamweight Amir Khan. And, you know, it was it was the impossible dream. I mean, if you were to write one of these books, like these Keir Radnich type books or whatever, which, you know, go very deep and analytical, it was the impossible dream. We had a guy who was, you know, I suppose, what, making wine out of water, whatever you want to call it. It was, I think it was so ridiculous what he was managing to do for us that many fans have glossed mm. over it and don't understand. Because as you've all pointed out, I hope Man City supporters don't take this as a as a slam. You love your club as you should. Brilliant football team, mm-hmm. brilliant players. But you'd have to be blind to ignore the riches that have helped you achieve the squad that you're able to put out. And again, you have to make that squad work. It's playing on cheap mode. Basically, che- looking at the figures, Chelsea have £1.3 billion worth of debt that is basically non-repayable to Abramovich. So if we, ha- if someone gave us £1.3 billion, we would probably expect to win trophies and win the league, yeah. wouldn't we, with that kind of money? So yeah. people are saying that we don't haven't won the league. Um, you could say to them, well, that's because Chelsea have had £1.3 billion. That's why they've won things. You know what I mean? In other words, that's the way it works, isn't it? Right. Chelsea, for many, many years, and Roman Abramovich is an extremely clever man. I Certainly, he doesn't need me to tell the world that, and he doesn't need me to confirm it. You know, number one, he saw what was happening with Frank Arneson, so he, mm-hmm. he poached him. Yeah. And then he ends up actually spending several years instructing yeah. his directors of football to go and sign any great youth player possible. And remember, that has included in the past Kevin De Bruyne's, Mo Salah's, whatever. Well, Mo Salah wasn't a youth player, but yeah. you get my point. I believe that he had Lukaku. You know, he signed at one point, there was some ludicrous number of like 40 plus players 40. they had on loan yeah. several years ago. So, And that is, I mean, that's almost anti-competitive because you know that that's the only way your your rivals can play. And so you and they just sign them, them to stop other clubs buying them. They don't sign them to develop them or yes. play them. They sign them right. to block other clubs. That's my point. Yes. And this is where football clubs cease being football clubs and, beca- you know, where it's a business now. So it's operated as a business. It's in the boardroom. It's almost like the underhanded tactics that, you know, large yeah. corporations play on each other. Thank you. And this is what's been going on for 15, 20 years. So when I see people waving placards about you can't buy trophies and all this nonsense, it's like, take a look around. This has been happening a long time in our game. And when I see guys like the president of UEFA standing there and talking about snakes and so on and so forth, what are they doing? to? If they truly love the game, they will find ways to ensure that that sort of basically anti-competitive behaviour cannot be tolerated within the league. Uh, We can leave the opinions aside. These are the facts. UEFA haven't done enough 
and the game has become so financially doped that these big clubs obviously saw a route to take. Uh, they, you know, I think the Champions League proposals came through. They probably didn't like what they were seeing. And then there's been a bluff calling and now they're all like, you know, it's like a billionaire's boys club fight and someone's trying to win a PR war. That's what it feels like. But if UEFA actually done more, what this, what the ESL is, is those clubs go into the well one more time. They're trying to find more money because a lot of the clubs that are in that European Super League are in massive financial difficulties. And they're tr- and, th- and some of the reasons they are why is because PSG just take Neymar, they have Mbappe and all the other clubs that are financially dope that don't actually need the money have made them clubs try and keep up with them and keep up uh, and chase players and pay extra wages to try and win the trophies as well and actually got themselves in a bit of pickle. I think Inter and that are virtually bankrupt, aren't they? Got a they? lot of clubs there that are badly run. You know, Real Madrid have been bailed out by uh, the local government and the national government countless times. Yeah, but are, are, are the dope clubs just pushing prices and transfer fees up because they haven't really got to think about it too much? And then those other big clubs are in that same market, aren't they? So then they buy, they buy Coutinho for £130 million. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And Hazard, and Hazard, and all that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's just... They're chasing i think it's a logical jag that we took there given the the opposition and everything but i suppose we should probably come back and focus a little bit more on the game again but I, look again i do think it was all of this is well worth saying and it especially as before the game i don't know about the punditry you were getting but before the game we were being reminded that these were the two of the breakaway clubs and mm. you know they were talking about that, this yeah. tut about punishment and all this absolute nonsense uh you know and and so on and so forth but i mean let's let's get back to the game and let's talk about harry kane for a moment uh we talked about the 20 minute spell uh in the second half where he was you know dropping in a bit more and getting a little more creative and things really actually you felt things were ticking and it, it, it you know what hi- what was highlight to me at that point was that aside from any game plan there were just several players mm. who were off in terms of their touch and their passing yeah. sunny yeah. Sonny's passing was off. His touch was off. Reggie was off. You know, there were just a couple of players who were off. But let me start this little segment of the conversation. Again, it's open house. Anyone get in there? Was Kane 100% fit? He didn't look too far off. We've, we've seen performances like that from him recently where he's been fully fit. So, yeah, maybe he was nursing it a bit, but I don't think it was too much. I think Sonny was the bigger issue today. If Sun was on fire, I think we would have seen a better Kane. I think maybe the change in formation didn't help them. But again, if we think about Mourinho not really coaching attacking plays so much and they're relying on relationships between them so much, maybe switching to a 4-3-3 we haven't really played mm. before uh, might have disadvantaged them a bit. But yeah, Sonny's on fire. I think maybe it's a different game. I think uh, the one reason for Sonny to say, I think in his head, he doesn't think he can get past Walker. Right, I honestly okay. think that. He looks like he just, he just doesn't feel like he can take him on because Walker will just have the strength and whatever. I just Because he likes to sometimes go at a defender and do that step over and then go on the outside. And I just think he looks like he's just a bit shut down. By it's Walker. interesting that we didn't see any movement from the front three, isn't it? Because all of no, them can play true, all yeah. of those positions. And maybe if that's a problem, why not just rotate them a bit and just give the people different things to think about? You know, put Kane up against Walker. You know, he'd be quite happy backing into him and, and uh, yeah. muscling him a bit. I think the other thing we, we really need to pick up is actually the ref had a bad game. <sighs> yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, the goal scorer should have been off. Both of their centre-halves should have had yellows in the first half. He, he let key decisions go. The first key decision, he didn't give uh, Reguilón a yellow card. And I thought that was part of his yeah. game, the ref's game plan, which was, you know, I'm going I'm to keep my cards in my pocket. 
Unfortunately, he put a rod in his back for that then, so he had to let some other things go on both I sides. I think the ref did have a bit of a face on where he looked like he was having a bad game. You kind of looked at him and he thought, <laughs> that, yeah, I haven't really run I haven't really run the game that well. But the thing about um, the goal scorer being sent off, but I do agree with the commentator slightly. If you get booked for that first one, that second one might not happen. Mm-hmm. Usually when you got a, yeah. usually when you got a yellow in a game, you are... But in which case, we, in which case he doesn't pull back an attack, so we've got a chance. Yeah, exactly, Correct. exactly. In which yeah. case, Lucas Moura actually breaks in the position Lucas Moura's been breaking all season yeah. and at that point, I believe there was a three on two. Uh, so, and, and, you know. and Ricky, this is something you've picked up on so many times about how clever City are at those niggly little fouls. And I think you yeah. said before the game with when you saw Fernandinho yeah. was starting, you were like, "Well, that's He's them. the master of it." Yeah, and he did it. Who was it? He just he ran across. Who was it? Was it Lacelso? Was it? Was it Lacelso? I can't oh, remember. Yeah. But there, there was a break, and he just ran across across his path and just clipped him. And we can take no high ground because, of course, Poch. Prime Poch was all about that, you know, which is... No, and we did it under Mourinho as well. No, I, I don't disagree with it, yeah. but it's, you know, they're, yeah, they're yeah, just yeah. really good at it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we should take anything away, actually, for, you know, from just how good City are, mm-hmm. though, as well. Like, yeah. I mean, some of their first touch passing and their first touch on receiving the ball, where we yes. were taking two or three touches, then getting ourselves into position, they just bring it down. Like, I mean, it's magical to see, mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, in some cases. And I said this in the chat, though, I don't think we disgraced ourselves today. Some of the stuff I did see on social media afterwards I was like were we watching the same game because we we weren't turned over we weren't you know embarrassed I thought there were parts in the second half where I thought hang on a minute we, we've got their yeah. number here. Uh, sadly, it wasn't to be, but I definitely don't think we disgraced ourselves. The problem is, and I agree with you, and the problem is that we've talked about the ref having a bad game uh, or not one of his one of the better games we've seen a ref have. The problem is we simply didn't seem to have the uh, incur- self-belief to ask enough questions mm. in terms of, as you were someone was saying, you know, Sonny, I think you were saying, Ricky, take on, try and take him on, try and get a free kick. Let's, let's challenge the referee to make a few more decisions. I mean, you've got players on yellow cards Cards. let's let's take a run at them and i think that was probably the only real disappointment that i other than losing the game that was probably the most disappointing aspect for me i know i know city are like the passing masters but i thought we were a bit reactive to them in other words mm-hmm. we'd look at the pass yeah, and then absolutely. they'd go somewhere else then we'd shuffle over there and i maybe were trying to contain them in certain areas of the pitch and that kind of thing but i didn't think I mean, because it's quite ironic that when we had the ball, City are just like in our face constantly. And yeah. then we do yeah. look a bit nervous with the ball. And I know they're used to having the ball and they, you've got the comfort of that and you're doing it week in, week out, basically. So it's just like, it's like, you know, second nature to you. I thought particularly in the first half, they were finding it far too easy to pass through us. So we weren't closing down the passing angles and they, they, their movement is so good that they could always find that ball through us. So I think that was a problem. But again, you, you, I think you have to give Mason a pass here and that he's had the side for, yeah. well, you know, if you think that, no, you know, what, three training sessions really? And, uh, it's a mm. big change from how we would have played before. We, the, the, you know, there are semblances there of us trying to close down as a unit, which is something that we weren't doing before. So there was quite a few changes. I think, mean, you know, defending set pieces, we've moved to a zonal system. There's quite a lot of changes there that, uh, he's tried to broad, bring in in a short period of time. And players need time together in order to do this. You can't do that in there a week. There was still some, you know, like I said before, there's still some residue from the previous mm-hmm. uh, manager, you know, and, and they're playing with fear. But I have to say the two, two team selections, Southampton and Man City, the best thing for me about both those team selections was there was no politics involved in it. And it was just yeah. Mason thinking and his team thinking, These are, this is the team we think is going to win this match. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that one of the things I noticed today was that, you know, from the set pieces, and look, someone might correct me, to my memory, no one blatantly lost someone. 
from a set piece. So, so the goal, Sissoko had a shocker for the goal, basically. He- mm. Yes. But he was sl- but he he was there. He just didn't make a good enough challenge. Really. Um, he wasn't paying attention. Right, he's a little slow to react. But he didn't. It's not like someone ghosted in completely. I mean, he was there and thereabouts. He was next to him. He was, he, he was just poor. Used his substantial frame a bit better, couldn't he? Really? Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, he's a he's an extra strong player. It does bring up. So just to, just to sort of qualify my point a little bit, we weren't. You know, it was. No one was coming in free off the back of anyone. The organisation, we looked much stronger. And credit to both Dyer and actually Toby today looked absolutely reinvigorated. Big blocks today from them two. Yeah, he was always in the right place at the right time, Toby. How have we managed to not talk about Lloris yet as well? I thought he made some top draw saves today. and I mean, he was great against Southampton. I thought yeah, he, yeah. He, was a, he was immense again today and he kept us in the game quite a few times. I agree. I agree. He's been absolutely superb, hasn't oh. he? And one of the things I was wondering is that the, the, the rumours are that uh, the French players in the squad had fallen out with uh, Mourinho and I was wondering whether... I don't, I don't think you can turn on and off form, but Lloris has been the man of the two matches yeah, for me. Yeah, same. Well, he stepped up as a captain, first and foremost, and I think that that's, you know, he stepped up as a leader and he stepped up at a moment when we've really needed, we've, at moments, rather, where we've needed him. First and foremost is supporting a 29-year-old manager who's a caretaker. Mm. You know, that's a very, very key mm. key element uh, of, of getting that even remotely right for Ryan Mason is to have the seniors on board. And if you don't have the club skipper on board, then you're in trouble. And, and Hugo showed mm, up for him. Yeah. I'm sure he showed up for him both on and off the pitch. That double save against Southampton that I think kept us in the game. And the first half today, he was absolutely superb. Oh. You know, I, I, I can't I can't think the last time that, that Lloris had a, a half as good as that as he did in the first half today. He was every, he, he covered yeah, everything, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And again, I think when we look back at players, and we did just talk about him there today, I think that uh, one of the saddest things I've seen this season actually has been um, just the very, very acute decline of Musa, Musa Sissoko. You know, whether you think that he had much decline from or not is is a point of personal personal opinion. I've always had a great deal of respect for him, and I will always have respect for him what he did but I do think that even in the role that he plays um, or the roles he plays because again uh, you know it wasn't necessarily his most typical role today but he just seemed a little slower he seemed a little just seemed a little off again and wasn't really even bringing that robust physicality to the game which he would bring even when he wasn't playing that well it was just you know really a steep decline does anyone else feel that that he's really dropped off in the last six months maybe it's just Lack of, I mean, he's not played that much, is he? Yeah, I mean, that was the other thing. I just think it's quite hard for Winks to come in because he's not played very much either. And it's a final, it's a big game. I mean, I know most of these pros can handle it these days. And it's not even, I mean, for our players, it's not even that daunting going back to Wembley, is it? We've played there, you know, 100 games there probably. So, no, I think Sissoko, yeah, I mean, has he got a year left? 2023, his contract expires. So he's got um, a couple of years left. But I think it would be sell him now, otherwise he wouldn't get anything. He's, thir- he's 31, isn't he? So, But I think he's on quite big wages, so I'm not quite sure how uh, how easy he'll be to shift. I mean, maybe we need him to be selected for France for the Euros and to- for him to have a good tournament. Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah, Or we're prepared to let him go for peanuts. Probably true. Uh, let- let's... Let's have a little bit of, well, fun. <laughs> when you look at Manchester City's side, you're allowed two players. Who are you taking? Is this is this in the context of who we need in our team or just basically what players you This is you in love? the context of who you think we need in our oh, team. Oh, okay. It's your choice. It's your personal choice. Who do you take? I mean, I'm 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 happy to start if you want. Mm-hmm. Go on, go on, Steph. I think I think we would have to take Laporte 
because I think we need a player like that. I mean, that's a no-brainer. And I would have Phil Foden. How could you not? Is he not the most gifted player we've produced since Paul Gascoigne? And as a, as a country, I say that England has produced since Paul Gascoigne. And he has a tactical awareness and nous that Gaza never had and an emotional handle. I mean, my word, I'd be, I mean, I'd be building my England side around this guy. He's just absolutely brilliant. And I would never turn down the chance to have him. He's a lovely player. I agree, isn't he? Steph. I, yeah, I think uh, Foden was going to be one of my choices. And I think you only after I, I think I mentioned this on a previous pod Pep said about him which he said he's the most naturally gifted player I've ever managed and from the players that Pep has managed <laughs> I think that's really saying something so I'd agree with you on Foden and I think do you know what? I think yeah Laporte as well I'm, I'm just going to mirror you Steph we need that centre-back and we need a centre-back that's you know like Laporte so I would I'll mirror you there just to be different with the centre-backs I'd have DS I mean it's probably not much of a choice between mm. the two I think they both look good quality centre-backs the kind of thing you look for uh, the other player I mean I agree with Foden and we probably could do a wide player but I'm going to go Cancelo I love Cancelo he's a great player mm-hmm. can play both sides of the pitch there can run the game and he's got a lovely pass on him he yeah. can rinse he can rinse defenders as well he can he's just got yeah he's just got really good technical <laughs> ability and I say he played yeah. left today but he can play right quite I think he's meant to play yeah. right, to be honest. I think that is usually his main <laughs> position. But the way Pep's used him coming into centre midfield's been oh. kind of, well, it might be Pep being amazing, but Cancelo obviously has to carry out the the job. So, so to avoid repeating, so De Berner, I just I love watching. He's just such a fantastic footballer, and you know maybe he's not quite a peak now, but he's just such a clever footballer. I could watch him all day long, and I, I would have said DS as well. But um, to be different, I'll say Fernandinho. He's again clever footballer. Uh, that City are a far, far better side when he's in it than when he's not. And yeah. if, he, if he makes City better, then he'd make us better as well. And again, I, you know, it's a complete reverse to where I was a year and a half ago. I have to give uh, Guardiola hats off for the way that he's brought Phil Foden through. Mm. He's resisted the yeah. opp- he's resisted the temptation mm. to loan him out and all that rubbish. He's he's brought him through the system and just nurtured him through so carefully. And it is actually a masterclass in how to nurture brilliant talent and bring him through. And I mean, I don't know Phil Foden from 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 the next person, but he looks to me like he's got a bit of the cheek lad in him I'm sure it's taken some management uh here and there I mean you know uh, as well so uh, look full credit to, it's it, this is not something that dropped in his lap it was a rough duel and he has helped shape this player into someone that I think is going to be one of the most exciting players of our generation or any generation and I think Pep as well deserves credit because th- his team selection I know there was a lot of Spurs fans a lot of people were surprised by the team selection saying oh why isn't he mm. you know resting for uh, Paris Saint-Germain but that's because Pep is a winner and he's built a team of winners and they want to win everything. And I, I would love some of that magic stardust for us as well. I think it's also because he's got 22 fucking brilliant players and he can afford to rest yeah. hard. He can afford, he can afford to yeah. rotate a few of these out. Yeah, yeah. We're, back, we're back to that part of the conversation. Yeah, let's, let's, we'll, temper, we'll temper the love in a bit with the reality. But I agree. I agree with all of this. One sort of another hypothetical question before we, we, we sort of wind this one down. I mean, at a certain point today, I was trying to imagine uh, where Oliver Skip will fit into our club in, in next season. And I was actually trying to imagine him in this game and, and sort of wondering, you know, if you bought on bail and you could bring on a player like Skip, would that have been more useful? I mean, just to sort of, again, play a little bit of, I don't know, it's not quite fantasy football. He is our player. You know, is Oliver Skip going to make a major difference to our midfield next season? Is he coming back? Are we going to sell him? Who wants to take this on? I think he will come back because I think we need him and we can't afford to replace him. 
So I would say add midfield. If we're playing two central midfielders next season, I'd see those the four players occupying those two positions as Hoybier, Skip, uh, and Dembele and the Celso, and that feels like a pretty good four to me. Um, mm. If we're playing if we're playing four three three or you know a variant of that, then maybe we need another player in there. But I think that feels pretty strong. Wink stays around maybe as the, as the fifth man in that, but that feels like a pretty good group to me. In a game like this, you know, where you maybe want to be a bit more defensive, maybe you're playing you know, him and Hoybier plus one other. Yeah. One more player question to throw, uh, and, and Ram Ricky, uh, you should take this one on. I love seeing Deli Ali in a Tottenham shirt. I love seeing him come on the pitch whenever I can. Uh, I, I think he's such a, a wonderful player and has been for us in the past. Uh, today, I have to be honest, I think I'd rather have seen Eric Lamella mm-hmm. come on. We're looking at two players there whose careers are in the balance with us coming into the summer. Obviously, Nobody's going to judge Delhi on, on on his appearance today. It would be completely unfair. But again, guys, are these two players going to be with us um, in the future? I just, I mean, it's the financial situation that's going to make the calls here. Basically, we haven't got a clue what the market looks like and what our finances look like. If we need money, then you're going to have to look at some assets that you want to get rid of. The other thing to look at, which I am a little bit worried about, is the new man, and he will ever have every right to. He's going to think. Well, I want to look at everyone. I want to see if who wants to go and who doesn't. And I'm just thinking that maybe they need to just like talk to us and we'll let them know which ones need to go. <laughs> so I've got to go through that process. <laughs> because I can't go through like another half a season and just thinking, yeah, we knew they, you know, we knew they were not up to it. We just need to get rid of them. But of course, any man that come in might, might be, you know, a kind of player developer, a bit of a potch-like player, a bit of a clock-like player who can put us into, you know, as we always say, a collective group that are greater than the sum of its parts and who knows what those are. To my detriment and the romantic fall in me as ever, I will never, ever let go of Deli Ali, and I still believe in him. So Ram Scott Alley. Think... <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that song. I agree. No, no and I, I'm with you and I agree with that. And we're winding into a question that uh, I think he's going to slowly phase us uh, into conclusion here. I think on Thursday morning, you know, I, I certainly you talk about romance uh, being the hopeless metrosexual romantic that I uh, unashamedly am, Jedward flying and all. I, you know, was high on the thought that, you know, Julian Nagelsmann was a year younger than Ryan Mason when he got the Hoffenheim job. You know, why can't Ryan Mason be our Julian Nagelsmann? I mean, it's a little bit of realism now uh, on a Sunday evening. I mean, do we think that, that it, there is a remote possibility that that happens? No. No, no, and it shouldn't. It wouldn't be good for it. Wouldn't be good for him. I hope he he sees out the season. Uh, we have a good run of results. It would be great if he could get us um, top four or top five. That would be that you know be a fantastic result. Um, and then I hope that he goes either back to the academy or goes out to a decent championship club, learns his trade, and comes back to us in a few years' time. Well, I've, I've got this fantasy that our academy is producing really good, you know, technically proficient exciting young managers as well as exciting young players and that he's the next off the factory line after Scott Parker and we can get someone else in now Scott Parker can go to a, a mid-sized club after Fulham learn his trade and then replace whoever's coming in next so N- Nagelsmann comes in it won't be Nagelsmann now it doesn't look like but um, Scott Parker's in after that and then Scott Parker can you know win the treble the quadruple with us and and then when he, when he decides to take a year out after winning everything he can Mason comes in and takes his place and, and leads us to even greater hopes. And in the meantime, uh, Didier Zakora is the next into the academy and um, <laughs> is going to be... Um, 
do 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 <laughs> is um is Steph asking is Ryan Mason uh, should we give Ryan Mason the manager's job the new have we taken the handbrake off <laughs> let's bring it back to some sort of a uh, normalcy uh, so we're we're forgetting about Julian Nagelsmann are we no 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 I mean it's no it, I mean do we assume that he's going to Bayern I mean is that what the rumor is right there was rumors about that this evening but how reliable they are I don't know I mean I say I'd just like to say that I am a uh, Masonista. So, um, <laughs> I actually, I'm actually intrigued by the thought of Brian Potter, just as I can call him Potter Chino. <laughs> so, I, but you know, Mason Easter, Potter Chino, yeah. But seriously, I mean, who, who what do we think is going to happen with the manager's chair? I would really like us to really go in hard for Rogers. Brendan Rogers. <laughs> uh, sorry, there's oh, been right. a there's been a there's been a blip there's been a blip on the in in the recording, and someone's taken over Ram's mic and said that he wants they want Brenton to be here. So <laughs> Brenton Rogers. Okay, what? Well, so, but why? No, no, he's he's a legitimate uh, he's a legitimate opinion to have a legitimate choice. Uh, but you know, explain why? Explain why you'd like to see him. Personally, I don't think it's going to happen, but why would you like to yeah, see Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but he has got experience that uh, he's already had experience at Liverpool and Celtic to, you know, two two very big clubs. I think what he's done with Leicester has been excellent. He's kind of reinvented himself from when he was at Liverpool, uh, from when he was Brenton. And I think he's reverted it somewhat back to Brendan. I like the way Liverpool play. I like his style of play, you know, in terms of his philosophy. I think it's very progressive um, and he's got proven premiership experience as well which um i think if you want to hit the ground running then i think he would be a very good choice i do believe in having a project i do believe in you know kind of someone like an eaglesman coming in and, and cre- maybe creating an uh, another identity for us but i think just in terms of um you know someone coming in and just knowing what to do it would be brendan but can you handle his disproportionately large head to body ratio <laughs> Could you honestly? I mean, could you could you handle that as as, I, as our first team coach? Is that that doesn't concern you in any way? If it brings, am I glory. the only person who thinks this? <laughs> am I the only person who thinks that Brendan Rodgers has a disproportionately large head to body ratio? I only, I only really see his head, Steph. So I'm not seeing his body. Well, Maybe you could. I rest my case. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think matter. of his hair, Steph? <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, in fairness, he's just so conservative with his hair. There's nothing to say about it, is there? I'm yeah. so busy looking at his giant head. He should have been in uh, that So I Married an Axe Murderer, shouldn't he? It's like a, a head on a toothpick. Oh, that's a brilliant line. It looks like a head on a toothpick. I know, what was it? A, a melon on a toothpick. That's it. Yeah, it craze itself, craze itself, craze itself on its pillow to sleep. Milo, bring some sense. <laughs> he's he's done a decent job at Leicester. I, I, the buying there isn't him, is it? It's it's the club. They're they're a well set up club, and uh, and they buy well. I mean, I think he's a bit of a prick. <laughs> well, and there we have it. We've Fair all enough. been dancing around, <laughs> yes. and Milo's just gone right in there. <laughs> uh, so he's a decent manager, but a bit, bit of a prick. And you know, kind of having the self portrait in his flat when he was at Liverpool is just a, a total company. <laughs> that it? was Brenton. That was Brenton, Milo. It's a red We're talking flag. about Brenton. It's a red flag, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's done a great job there, and, and his team tend to play good football. And I think he's a smarter guy than people think. Um, mm. he, good at Swansea. He, 
Swansea yeah, and and he did a good job at Celtic. I think he's got a habit of staying in jobs too long. Um, I think that happened at uh, both Liverpool and Celtic. So you know, probably the, the smart thing to do would be mm. for him to move on. Uh, that uh, him staying in jobs too long probably means that he won't. I wonder about uh, Gasparini at uh, Atalanta. I think they play fantastic football. Mm. I, d- I think he'd be very gettable. Um, I don't think he'd cost too much. So that's going to be ticking some boxes. Um, but I haven't seen him linked at all. Oh. So I'm a bit surprised by that because I like the look of him. Gettable Gasparini. Gettable Gasparini. Ricky, what do you think? Well, because the list isn't that extensive, is it, when you look down quality-wise? I mean, all the talk of Southgates and stuff like that. Southgate well, worries me. You know what I mean? And who's the other one that no. just was worried, probably equally worried you as well? I can't remember who the other one was. I I've got know. to ask, what is the negativity towards Southgate? He's done a lot for England. He's managed to bring through a lot of good young players. I'm just interested. I mean, I, you know, he doesn't, I wouldn't love him at Spurs, but I, really would, I wouldn't hate him either. I mean, he has brought in a lot of young players, but I still, I've, you know, in terms of the way England play, I think with those young players, I'm not quite. I, I think the 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 the, the sum of the parts, like the way England plays, still isn't good enough for me. It is difficult to judge players on international football, though, isn't it? Because it's a part-time job. You don't get the players for yeah. very long. So I don't know. Oh, Martinez was the other well, one, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, I'd take Southgate over Martinez 10 times out of 10 because at least Southgate showed that he can progress. I mean, he took over England at a horrible time uh, in terms of having to That's progress fair. several players out and bring things through. And he, he did That's some d- good, dirty work Martinez there, at both Wigan and uh, Everton, I think, is a half a season manager. At both clubs, he seemed to struggle to know what his best lineup and his best... Um, formation was in the first half of the season and then and then they'd click after a while and have a, a good second half of the season and I always thought of, yes. I, I always thought of both clubs if the, if it had happened the other way around he would have been f- fired every single year <laughs> no, I agree yeah. I was just not even in the conversation for me but let me ask one more uh, and again I'm going back to to Potter I nearly called him Brian Potter you did call him Brian Potter <laughs> <laughs> you did yeah, call him yeah. Brian. which did I <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> which of course means I have Phoenix Knights on the brain oh no <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry Graham Potter who would still be Potticino to me. Anyway, seriously, you know, this is a manager who, if you look at his record and what he actually has been doing uh, with Brighton and so on and so forth, is certainly, he's not shoddy, but do we really think that a club that has built the, fi- the the profile that we have can afford to take a gamble of that nature right now? Or are we going to end up throwing it all in and saying, fuck it, let's just get Allegri because we can? Uh, well, as a comparison, uh, you could argue that Potter's in a very similar space to what Potts was when we took mm-hmm. him from Southampton. You know, what he's yeah. achieved and that kind of thing. So We're not. But oh, we're no, we're not. not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Mm. That's the sad thing about it. Well, it's not actually, no, sorry, let me scratch that. That's the brilliant thing about it. <laughs> we have we have grown considerably and, and happy for it. I think Potter should be on the list. I don't think he should be too near the top. If we're working down the list and other players are, uh, sorry, other managers are unavailable, then he comes into consideration. And I, I wouldn't be upset if he was our manager, but he wouldn't be, you know, my first, second or third choice. I think he's done a fantastic job at uh, at Brighton. I think they're a good team. Um, if you put a striker in there, I think they'd be considerably higher up the league than they are. So I think he's got a lot going for him. What I'd prefer is that he went to a kind of next step up and then we were talking about him being manager after one again, a bit like we're talking about with Parker. You know, if if Potter had a spell at Leicester or had a spell at Villa or had a, you know, somewhere like that, 
and did well, you know, continue to do well, then it's easier to see the jump to Spurs. So are we essentially saying that we're looking maybe at a short-term bridge appointment until someone like Scott Parker has has uh, has come through? Can we afford to do that? We can't, can we? We have all to... managerial appointments are short-term now. We, we you know, we, we've I suppose because you're right. po- because yeah. of Poch was around for five years, we've kind of th- th- thought about that. But basically, all managers are in post for three years. That's how long a managerial term is. So yeah, I think. Um, we bring someone in with a view to them being here for the next three years, and then you see what these people are doing and, and see where they are in three years' time. And the truth is that a load of them will be in the championship or, you know, somewhere else because that's just how it happens. You know, you know, one bad move or, um, you know, what have you, and your career tanks. I'll quickly, I'll quickly run down the list, yeah? Sorry, Nailsman, Nuno, Parker, Benitez, Rogers, Eddie Howe, Ten Hag, Allegri, Potter, Martinez. Ooh. Ten Hag would be fine by me. And that's going down the bet. That's going down the betting list as well. So is the that, the be- down the is that with the bookies though? Yeah, that's uh, people betting on people they've heard of rather than who we're actually interested in. Yeah, but it's a list. And f- it? In fairness, <laughs> Benitez isn't in with a chance. Sorry, isn't in with a chance. There's a load of people people there. We're not going to hire. So sorry, and Benitez, give me a break. I mean, but do we think that Daniel's done any groundwork? I mean, to, into getting someone. Do you think he's got his feelers out for two or three people? It seems. Have to, has to. Yeah, no, we've definitely he? done the groundwork because there's some new flats coming up on the high road soon, and they've got some other build, <laughs> some building work going on there. <laughs> oh dear, Deary me! Sometimes I feel I'm like in an episode of Reeves and Mortimer, right? It's like it's like an episode of. It really does feel a bit like that sometimes, but I wouldn't change it for anything. I wouldn't at all. Uh, so, you know, there's all sorts of questions we can ask about whether there's a Champions League miracle coming, uh, UEFA qualification. But I think in the interests of uh, making sure that we have a whole bunch of great stuff to talk about in the final few weeks, we're going to leave those for another time. Lads, I think it's been a great conversation. I think we covered probably far more ground than we expected. And as we always manage to do, we do have a good time, even on sad days like this, where, let's face it, it's never fun to lose a final. So uh, thank you very Cheers. much. Thanks, Thanks Steph. guys. Thanks, thank Steph. You. Our next match is on Sunday, May the 2nd against Sheffield United at the New Lane. And we'll be back to discuss what happened. And as I just said, get into those, uh, get into those potential miracle qualifications and so on and so forth. In the meantime, if you like what you hear and find yourself at a short end, go digging through the archives and you'll find oral treasures to make your day move that much better. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Give us a follow, say hello, give us a review. That would be great. Thank you very much for joining us. See you next week.